The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I am going to start off today's episode talking about the fact that I'm still doing Weight Watchers and I actually have gained weight on Weight Watchers. So I'm pretty upset about that. (laughs) Uh, Not going so great, but it probably has something to do with, like I said, the last episode running out of my points by noon, and I may or may not have um, been drinking alcohol a little bit too much lately. Um, it's just really boring being stuck in the house and there's not much to do. So I'm going to get back on track. So that's my first topic. So again, I'm always looking for pointers from people that have the self-control not to like... Um, not to go to the refrigerator and cheat on Weight Watchers. So you can message me any tips. My second thing I was going to talk about today is, uh, you know, those car washes where you're at the gas station and you can go into the car wash and you put in your code and then you go through and there's a sign and it's like, stop. I got legitimately caught in one of those car washes for like a good I'm not lying. And I'm so ditzy and like ridiculously not smart. Probably for a good half an hour the other day, I just kept going like to the point where it's like, stop. And then it would be like, honk. And then I would back up and it would be like, honk. And then I would go forward again. I got stuck in the car wash for a half an hour and all the people behind me were honking and I was stuck. There was nothing I could do. I don't understand those car washes. And then you go for, you finally get your car washed. You go forward. I'm so embarrassed. I look like such an idiot. And then, you know, you have to go really slowly to get your car to dry properly. 
the dryer never works. So I've, I have this whole method where I pull forward and then I go backwards and then I pull forward again. Anyway, if you have any tips for your friend, Megan, not to be such a moron at the gas station and go through a car wash properly, please tell me because it's bad. Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owners, turn your smartphone into a cash register. PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy way to get paid in store, and they deliver the same security and trust PayPal is known for online, in person, even if you're a cash-only business. With PayPal QR codes, you can accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. There's no additional hardware or software needed. Generate your unique QR code from the PayPal app and display it on your device or print it to display in store. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app. You only need your smartphone. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. So lucky today to have my good friend, Chef Wayne. Um, he is doing my podcast today. I have known Wayne Elias, Chef Wayne, for, God, Wayne, how many years? A long time. 15, 17. So, I mean, forever so Wayne and I used to be neighbors in West Hollywood and we just had the best time we had the best time and I'm I've remained in contact with him for all these years and he's just he's a light he's an awesome guy he's fun he's funny and I just love him so welcome Wayne well thank you thank you for having me and asking me to be part of your uh, podcast I'm just so happy you said yes. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, you know about my podcast and my listeners know, you know, I try to, I try to be like, tell stories and put some humor in there. I mean, who knows if my stories are even funny. Um, but our topic today is talking to Wayne about something that's pretty heavy. Uh, and I believe that this is a story that people really need to know about because uh, it's really important. It's it's talking about our history in our country and something that I believe um, was a dark shadow in dark time in our history. And uh, so we're gonna go right into it, but I am gonna start by kind of telling how we know each other, that we were neighbors and we just had the best time living on our street and Chef Wayne, if you can't tell he's a chef, is a, a pretty famous chef, and he does the Elton John Oscar party every year. How many years have you been doing that? 17 years. Oh my gosh, it's been going on that long. I've always been looking for my invitation, so let me know, because I think Elton and I would really hit it off. <laughs> um, actually, actually, the party's the fundraiser has been going on for 30 years. I have been catering it for 17 minus this year because of the pandemic. It post probably won't happen till 2022. Yeah. But 2022 then is going to be like a major bash, right? It's going to be incredible. Um, and, and then also you have a company called crumble catering where can you tell me about that before we start going into like the nitty gritty kind of sad stuff? What, what, what does the company, like what kinds of things do you do? So we are a full service catering company, event planning company, production company. 
We have been around for 24 years here in Los Angeles. I started it when I was the chef and owner of Mark's Restaurant in West Hollywood on La Sanica Boulevard, which is when you met me. And I'm still on in West Hollywood at the same house. <laughs> I know, I love that house. Remember when I sang at Mark's? That was like one of the highlights of my life. I um, remember that. That was uh, yeah. the beginning of your, you know, being on stage and acting career and being <laughs> in public. Um, <laughs> so you also do like events for Aerosmith and do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like the kinds of things that you do? I've seen you on TV, guest appearing and doing little little stints here and there. So I luckily from the days of starting to cook and fortunately for me from having a little restaurant, I was able to market my catering skills and develop this company with my business partner, Chris Diamond, and we formed Crumble Catering. And we do anything from two people for dinner in this year when it's a pandemic to families, to big events like the Elton John party, which is the Oscar party that is for the Elton John AIDS Foundation, a thousand people, five course sit down dinner. I also have been doing the Steve Tyler Janie's Fund event for the past three years, which is a Grammy viewing party, which he raises money to help women that from abuse. And Janie's Got a Gun is a song where all the proceeds go to that organization, which is worldwide. And I'm fortunate I got to do Diana Ross's 70th birthday party last year. Oh my and God. let me tell you the best part. Not only was the party amazing because it was only 70 people. So it was all celebrities and big people in the uh, recording industry and in theater. But this is a great quick story. I'll make it quick. So oh, I love this story. So two days after that event, 7.30 in the morning, my cell phone rings and I don't pick it up. I'm like, oh, it's a blocked caller. So I don't answer them. So I walk my dog, I come back. There's a message. I play the message and it's, hi, Chef Wayne, this is Diana Ross, Miss Ross. And she goes into, I wanted to thank you so much for the wonderful dinner and party that you threw this past weekend, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm actually glad I didn't pick the phone up because nobody would believe me, but I have that recording. <laughs> That is unreal. I am so jealous. You need to save that forever. I do. That's, I have that saved. I need you to play that for me. Oh my God, I would love to hear that. She's she's the OG diva. OG diva of all time. I love her. So uh, just to backpedal a little bit, uh, you mentioned the Elton John AIDS Foundation, uh, which I think is just amazing that he's been doing that for so long, but that's part of why you came on today is to talk about your story and how AIDS touched your own life um, so tragically. And, um, you know, I, I know that you lost your partner many, many years ago to the disease. And, you know, I kind of talked in the beginning about, I remember being a little girl during when the AIDS pandemic started back in the 80s. And my father was, I was thinking about this the other day, how it was so sad and so unfair and, and you know, how hard it must have been to have a partner and, and be going through that time as a gay person, you know, with AIDS going on. 
because I remember going to visit my dad in the hospital. He had leukemia and he was on the same ward in, at Georgetown University Hospital with some of the AIDS patients. And I will never forget looking in a room. I was a little girl and I looked into a room and I, re- and I can remember it like it was yesterday and I saw this man and he looked back at me and I smiled and his face just looked so sad and heartbroken. And obviously he was very, very sick and I didn't understand at the time, but I was thinking about this before you came on, how I remember that time and I always, I can't imagine what it was like. So thank you for coming on and telling this story. I think it's really an important thing for people to hear and for people to understand what it was like at that time. Well, thank you. And, you know, I've told you that a lot of people don't know my story, my newer friends or my friends from the past 10 or 15 years. I don't really talk about it unless it comes up for conversation because we're talking about 30 years ago for me since Eric passed away and I was only 32 years old um, and he was only 30 years old. So it was a really devastating time for the community and for people like myself because such a stigma in the world that not only first we were still dealing at that time 30 years ago, gay, gay people were still not accepted. And um, then on top of that, then we have the AIDS uh, pandemic or epidemic, however you want to call it, came out. And then we were then again being stigmatized, you know, so it was, it was definitely tough. And having somebody that I was with for 10 years as a young a gay man uh, and seeing him, unfortunately, had contracted the HIV disease and then him getting sick and me taking care of him until he died. It was so difficult and scary because there was not enough information anyway to keep ourselves safe. But to watch somebody that you love disappear in, in front of your face and to disintegrate in their physical body and their mind was extremely uh, emotional for me. And I was so not in touch at that time with my feelings. I was the strong one because I had to protect him and I had to protect my friends. And, you know, it was tough because the day that Eric came home and told me that he was um, diagnosed with HIV positive, he said, I said, I said, wait a minute what do you mean? He goes, I went to the doctor. I go, I've been with you for five years. You have never gone to the doctor. You've never been sick. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, I didn't want to worry you. And he said, I was not feeling strong. I stopped going to the gym with you. I was not, I didn't have energy. And I just went to check myself out. So they told me I'm HIV positive. Here's 10 pills. And Wayne, I don't want to talk about it. And you can't tell anybody. That is when, when was that? When, okay, so just to to go back a little bit, how you guys had been together for 10 years at that point? We were together five years at that point. Five years, okay. We and then- 10 years total. So it was, he, that was probably 1984, 85. Okay. So that was the very beginning, right? Of, and, yes. and that was when everybody was terrified there was the stigma of swimming and right swimming in the pool and you know right. and uh, silverware touching somebody's silverware that you know there was 
I had some girlfriends who said, oh, my mother knows I'm coming to your house for dinner. She told me to bring disposable silverware, don't drink out of glasses, because nobody really knew at that time how it was contracted until they finally figured out it wasn't through saliva or kissing or touching. Finally, you know, that took a few years, but in the beginning, it was fearful for all of us, you know? And um, we did the best we can to, to keep ourselves as strong and to move forward and that we were gonna fight this disease and try to get help and funding. And that's when all the communities, especially the entertainment community started to, you know, help out because the government at the time was ignoring it and was not doing anything to help with research and any type of cure or medication or managing. So it was really, you know, a devastating time in the beginning of it is where I started here in Los Angeles. I lived through the whole thing and lost probably three extremely best friends within a three year period. What was that like when he got the diagnosis and he came home and you weren't allowed to talk about it? What was that like? Were you afraid that you had it as well? Because at that point, you knew if you were diagnosed with HIV, there was a very strong chance that you wouldn't be able to, you weren't going to live, right? That is true. It was a death sentence at the beginning. And I was immediately thinking, oh my God, I need to go get tested. And Eric was very adamant. You don't have to worry. I have been, you know, gay for 10 years five more years before you. This is when they're saying things were happening. Um, we, he, he, he co convinced me to be confident that I was going to be okay. And that at that time, a lot of people weren't getting tested because we were afraid to find out. We didn't, there was no hope. So it was like, maybe we don't find out until we start feeling sick or we just, we didn't know how to think or which way to go. So in the beginning, the most emotional part for me was I couldn't talk to anybody. Obviously I spoke with him, but because he in the beginning physically looked perfect, it was as if you make believe there's nothing wrong. So for a few years, it was like nothing was wrong. So I was able to maintain my regular life and nobody knew what was going on in our world but it was frustrating. I can't say it wasn't emotional for me. And I was so afraid, what if you get sick and you die? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose you. And I went through all those emotions. I wasn't even worried about me getting sick. I, I had said, I wish it was me and not him, you know, because of, I felt he was stronger and that he could live forever. And that if anybody was going to get sick, I wanted to go first which I think is in a, any loving relationship, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it sounds to me, he was like, he was your great love, right? Maybe, I don't know if you believe in soulmates, but I know that I do. And, I do feel he was my soulmate. And even yeah. though I've moved on, I've had some relationships. I do. There's not a day that doesn't go by. I don't think of him. And I also, um, Sometimes I say, oh, my God, we would be together 35 years or 30 years at this point. And um, could we have weathered the storm? We did so well for 10, 11 years. I figured, oh, we would have worked our ways through it. So I do believe that um, he was my soulmate and that we could have still been together if he would not have passed away. So I'm hopeful of that. 
I, well, I believe too. I mean, most of my podcasts, I'm, I'm spiritual and I believe like we have angels and people that watch over us and I'm sure he's, he's proud of you. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see all the different things you've accomplished in your life and what an amazing person you are. Um, Thank you. What was it like during that time? You know, you mentioned, I mean, I've lived in West, I lived in West Hollywood for a decade of my life and we've been at the beach now for, but still in Los Angeles for my listeners that don't live here uh, for, I've lived here over 20 years. And as long as I've lived here, I've always been, I consider myself and quite the advocate for the gay community. And I can't understand what it would be like to walk down the street in West Hollywood and not feel comfortable in your own skin and be able to feel free. What was that like at that time? Like you talked about feeling afraid and not being accepted as a gay person. Do, do you mind telling me what that was like at that time and how it was different? It was, you know, we had to always be on guard when we were out of the bubble of West Hollywood. You had to always watch what's going on, who's around you for the fear of somebody gay bashing you or targeting you because you were different or because they could tell that you might have been gay. And we would never have any PDA. There was no such thing as touching or holding anybody in public, didn't matter where you were, except if you were in a gay bar. And that has affected my relationships till now because I'm not comfortable with that because I come from this, you know, background and this uh, period in time where you're not allowed to do that because somebody could come and clobber you and beat the hell out of you. So um, it was a time when we had to bond together in our community and we fought for our rights. That is when things started to really, the community, especially when HIV hit, HIV and AIDS hit, the community, we started to let our voices be heard with marches on Washington. But I, I never felt afraid, but I was always watching myself and made sure that I was correct with my public uh, behavior and that I was gonna be as macho and as butch as I possibly can so nobody would mess with me. But it just is an added layer of anxiety when you're trying to just be who you are and then you have all these other issues you have to worry about for the fear of being hurt. Um, so. I got through it, of course, because I'm still here. But um, you know, but I can't. I can't imagine how difficult. I don't even. I. I will never understand. And P. And like as a straight person, will never understand what that's like not to feel safe walking down the street. I can understand being a woman, you know, feeling unsafe, but just the pain and of of being who you are and loving who you love is just devastating to hear. How long was he actually sick? So you talk about he was diagnosed and then he looked healthy or was able to um, live with the disease for a few years, I think you said? Yes. So after he was diagnosed, we carried on like nothing happened. We didn't disclose any information to anybody. And um, one day we were having a dinner party and beknownst to me, Eric told said, I have an announcement to make. 
I was pushing him. I said, we got to tell our close friends because what if something happens? Then it's going to be even worse and I need support and you need support. And so I I didn't know when he would do it, but he announced it at a dinner party and we started to let our close friends into our world of what was going on. And at that time we had found out one or two of our other friends were also positive and they hadn't shared the information. So it did bring us all closer together and helped us support each other. I would say two years after that, Eric started to get sick to the point where he could not work anymore. He was weak, he had lost weight, but his face and physical body still looked great. So it was very easy for me to make believe, oh, he's gonna be okay. He's never going to, you know, nothing's gonna happen. Maybe he's gonna get through this. Maybe there'll be a breakthrough with medication. So once he stopped working, he was home for about two years on 24-hour IVs. Then I'd have nurses come, except late at night I would do it myself. And just to make it interesting, I would dress up in drag as a nurse and be like Nurse <laughs> Ratchet. I would be Nurse Ratchet in drag just to be funny, to bring some humor into yeah. the house. And... um. I would put on high heels and I would wear a chef coat because I didn't have a doctor's coat. I would uh-huh. wear a white chef coat <laughs> and I'd get a wig and I would say, let me change your IV. I would make all these you know, jokes and all these scenarios just to be funny about it. And I'm like, I'm gonna you know, poke you in the wrong way. And I, you know, I would just totally be funny, so. It he probably really he probably loved that. <laughs> yes. I mean, a way, a way to find humor during the darkest times, you know, there was probably a lot of, you talk about, you know, his face looked normal. And then he was, that must've been just really devastating to watch. I, I can relate in a way because I remember my own father going, getting really sick with leukemia. And uh, my dad was like a handsome, tall, healthy, athletic man. And then you know, he just started to slip away and physically, you know, to see somebody you love so much get become gaunt and sick. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult for us as people when we love someone to experience something like that. I totally agree. It was, listen, I was in love with him. And I, like I said, I felt he was my soulmate. And to see the pain and he was so good about not complaining or bitching. And he, not like me, I'm a baby and I'm a lot of high maintenance if I have a fever. So he, he was at least made it as pleasant as possible. And he would tell me, stop staying home, Wayne, every night with me. Go out with friends and have dinner. Get out of this house. What are you going to stare at me while I'm laying in bed on an IV and fall asleep? No, you are okay. You go and live your life. You're 28 years old. Get out of this house. So I would, against my own will, I would go out for an hour, a couple hours, and then come home. But I was so concerned for his health and safety that I didn't know, could I leave you? Could I not leave you? And then, you know, I realized, okay, I could go out for a little bit here and have some decompressing and normalcy for myself. And at that time, I still hadn't shared the information with anyone in my family because I didn't want them to... I have a Jewish mother. I didn't want her to think every day 
are you okay? Are you okay? I didn't want to be inundated with her worrying about me, you know? So I kept that a secret as well till it came to the point where I knew things were never going to turn around. And I started to share with the family. What, what was that like? I know you're really close with your mom. Um, what was that like telling your mom when you finally told your family what you were dealing with? I mean, I can't, the amount of trauma just pushing all of that stuff down and not being able to talk about it. I, I can't imagine how difficult that was and what a strong person you are, you know, and you had to be. I had to be, I, I could have probably opened up earlier, but it was so hard in that time, getting your family to accept you as a gay person to begin with was one hurdle. Then when the HIV stigma came out, they were always, you know, I hope you're being okay. I hope you're being safe. And yes, I am. I'm, you know, reading the information and taking care of myself. So then when I told them about Eric, it was, you know, they didn't really understand. I just explained it. Okay. Maybe it's like a cancer. I don't know if he's going to get better, but this is what's really going on. And being they lived in New York and not California, they didn't see, you know, with their own eyes of really what is happening in your life. What are you living like? What is, what is that like? Because also at that time, nobody in my own family, immediate family, had there been any death or any illness, you know, besides maybe a grandparent, but not at that time. It hadn't happened. So you know, it, it was easier for me once I told them it's all, only over the phone, you know? So saying that over the phone, and I think I broke down when I told my mother, and she was like, oh, I'm going to come out there. And I was like, you can't. You can't come out here. It's nothing. I can't have you come out here right now. This is very, it's a private matter. Eric was a really private person. He told his family, but he told them not to worry because he had me to take care of him. And his mother told the family that he had stomach cancer, that he got a stomach cancer while we were in Europe. So she hid everything from the family, his family. So support from his family was not there at all. And support from our friends was my family. Your family becomes your friends that are obviously not your blood, but you're chosen. So as you, as I went through all this trauma, and I, I was working full time. I was coming home in the middle of the day, bringing him lunch, making sure he was okay, um, going back to work and then coming home at night. You know, it, it created, I will tell you, the, per, the person that I am today, became, I became the person I am today from this terrible tragedy that I went through. It really was nothing I would want anybody to experience. And I'm so thankful today that they've gotten to this point where people don't have to experience that anymore. But it's very yeah. important. Oops. It's very important that people realize where we have come from with this disease, which is still around, and how the people in my decade and age group have fought so today we have grown where things are so much easier for people in, in the, my situation or in the gay community, you know? Am I bouncing all over the place? <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the thing is, is like, this is the amount, like just the amount of 
how difficult it was for you to go through this and just push everything down, push everything down and have to be strong. No human, you sh nobody should have to have ever gone through what happened, you know? And I understand the lack of education and people not knowing, you know, what the disease was. I mean, I hate to like relate it because it's so different to what we're going through right now with COVID, but right. it must have been some, it must have been pretty scary in the beginning for you, you know, with COVID as well. Just, I mean, they're so different, but just, you know, it probably brought back all of that, that fear and that trauma that you pushed down for so long. And just to touch on the point, like, you're such an amazing person that you took care of somebody in their darkest hours, their darkest times, and that you are, you know, you loved another human being so much. And I understand what that's like. And I think people that have gone through a lot of trauma, something so dark, you know, it makes you more of a whole person in a different way. And I really believe that about you as well. Uh, something I wanted to ask was, you know, AIDS at that time, I've done some reading on it, um, was a very, very hard thing to, to get sick with. And the side effects, like all the things that he must have been going through, was he experiencing like the ringing in the ears 24 hours a day? Like what were some of the things that he had to deal with? Just so people, because I think a lot of people just think, especially like people in you know, a little bit younger than me, I'm in my 40s, but 20s and 30s, you know, they don't understand what it was like to live at that time and be a gay person and, you know, have this fear of getting the disease and what all the side effects were, because there were, weren't the medications and the advances that we have now. So what were some of the things that he was dealing with? So the biggest thing he was dealing with is he got neuropathy, which is pain in your hands and your feet and your tendons, I guess, or nerve endings, I'm sorry. And um, and he did lose weight, but he didn't waste away to the point of being emaciated. The biggest fear that we had is there was a side, an opportunity infection, we used to call them OIs, which was you would get these lesions and bruises on yeah. your face, all over your body, Carposi sarcoma, I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. And he was a very beautiful, handsome man. And that was, we used to pray that that would never attack his system, which we, it did not. So physically, even though he was a little slimmer than normal, he maintained his handsome physical beauty and everything else till he passed away. So it was, I wouldn't want to say easy, but visually for me, it was easier to look at him and have some peace at times that he wasn't going through these terrible side effects that people were having where they would be wasted or they'd have bloating or they would have sunken in faces, you know, and they would be all bones like skeletal looking. Luckily for him, he did not go through that. I will say the lesions were a very common side effect. Like I would imagine you would see people out on the street or, and you would immediately know. That was probably the first visible indicator. Or if somebody all of a sudden looks like, oh, wow, they lost a lot of weight. Their face looks really sunken in. That would be a, a marker right there. You know, that we could tell 
oh my God, he must have it, you know? Um, so that we, and you said something very important about how it's related to COVID, right? That we've talked about that amongst my friends and stuff like, wow, this is bringing back everything from back in the day with HIV about being positive, being negative. How do you transact, you know, how do you get the disease? What do you have to be safe with? At least we know kissing, you can get the disease from kissing <laughs> back in the day, HIV. And still today, you can't get it from kissing. I kept telling everyone, at least, you know, don't kiss anyone, you know? So we've compared those similarities and the fear because nobody wants it, of course. Nobody wants HIV. Nobody wants to get COVID. So we have to figure out how do we behave and what are our safety practices. So that was a very, very good thing that you brought up about how it is related in a way. I, I just was, I was thinking about it last night and I was like, it must be, you th th things affect different people in different ways and trauma comes up in different ways and memories. And that was something I was thinking about. How long was Eric sick like how long until he did he did he have the disease until he finally passed away uh, passed away so when he found out he was positive they had told him he was about 25 years old when he found out they told him they think he had been positive for eight to ten years and that back that believe that or not because he did come out of the closet at 15 in high school and started experimenting with men but having sex with men. So they said back in that day, there was indications of this HIV, but not anything out of proportions, but there had been certain incidences, maybe in other countries possibly, but they, or that's their assumption that maybe we didn't know about it, but we believe that it could take anywhere between five to 10 years of progression of the disease before you have symptoms and start to get sick. So, that's what they had said to him. He started to get symptoms at about 28, 29 years old. And from that 28 to 30, 31, 30 and a half, he was on home for the two years of IVs and he passed away. And um, it was... Uh, I know this is hard, Wayne. It was... Uh, um, at least it was... He had a fever of like 105 and I called up ambulance and they took him in and then he went into an immediate coma and out of the five years of being in and out of the hospitals nobody was allowed to visit him he wouldn't let anybody come see him but me of course and when he went into the coma is when I called everybody and said you should come see him now and luckily he passed away within like 48 hours so it wasn't a a drawn out debilitating disease for him on the end. Yeah. And I called his family and they asked me if they could spend the night with him on his last night. And even though they hadn't been around, I, I said, of course. And when they called me the next morning, he passed away. They already were gone. And I went and, you know, paid my respects and stayed with him before they took him out of the room. Um, what what was that like for you to have to say goodbye? I, I know this is a hard thing for you to talk about, and thank you so much for sharing the story. You sit there in the room, and he's peaceful, and thank God, free from the disease. Look, yeah. 
handsome and beautiful and you talk and you cry and you just sit there and you you realize you take a person in and you go home with a shopping bag and you I was so young myself you know 32 years old hadn't ever dealt with death prepares us for death especially at that age I hadn't even lost a grandparent yet but um you figure out I think it made me so numb to be honest with you and I realized I had so many support around me that I had to be so strong to take care of everyone I held off on my own grieving I can't imagine I mean I can't imagine because I, I kind of talked to touched on this in one of my podcasts when I lost my best friend Julie which I I think I've told you that story and I believe I have she died really tragically and I remember same thing going to the hospital I had to remember I knew she was dying and they were taking her off you know life support and I remember thinking I have to remember something about her right now because I'm never going to see her again and then it's done they're gone and you just move about your life again and you know you go through the whole grieving process and it's just like this emptiness and having to like start over again and I'm I imagine that you had to do that and it was probably difficult to be somebody's partner and like soulmate and then you have to move on and live your life and just start over again so what was that like for you that is true. It's like I'm a widow at 32 years old, and now I need to carry on. And, of course, I'm like Eric always said to me, you will move on. You will fall in love again. You will be, you know, keep your passion going and give you all the support that you always could have and get. And um, I, I realized when I started the grieving process, which I didn't start right away because I was so numb mm-hmm. and I was so shocked and I didn't really know what to do I my neighbor told me for months she said she used to hear me crying late at night and wanted to come over but she didn't know if I would let her into my world and I was like well you could have tried <laughs> but it was fine for the moment I needed my space I had to get the anger out angry at the disease angry at the government angry at the world um how much he meant to me and how much I learned being a couple and being with a partner and how much of him, of his goodness and his passion and personality really rubbed off on me because as I moved on, I became the better person that I could ever be from that terrible experience of being in love and losing somebody and taking care of them and realizing what is important in life. We're working and trying to do so many things, but we really need to slow down a little bit and take care of not only ourselves, but share what we have and let everybody in. And that's, you know, I fell in love twice afterwards, but I will be honest, I was not 100% repaired in my heart. I wasn't open. I was closed off. I didn't do the work immediately or maybe fully. And then my one of my last exes, Evan, who you know very well. Oh, I love Evan. Evan's my friend too. I love Evan. 
when we broke up and he broke up with me, he told me, Wayne, I've been with you for 10 years. You never cry. You tell me everything's okay. Yeah. You're not emotional. Something's up. And I took a good look at myself and I realized I was so used to from the trauma I went with Eric that I've just figured everything has to always be okay. I can't let anybody see the raw or the real sadness that I probably buried for so long. And then I went and sought out help and I went through the grieving process for about two years and got through that's it. That's amazing. I mean, that's how you get through it. I mean, my the entire podcast is about my journey with my therapist, Dr. Nay, um, and realizing that this trauma needs you need to go through it, even though we don't want to go through it, right? We push it all down. We push it all down. We make excuses. It's something that we have to go through. Do you, do you believe in signs and are you spiritual? Do you believe that he comes to you ever? Do you ever see any signs? So I have two signs. That's funny you say this. So after he passed away and I was planning his memorial celebration of life I was like oh god I don't even know what to do like I had ever even been to a funeral more or less trying to plan one before he passed away we had tried multiple times to go to Maui on a vacation so my friend said let's take his ashes to Maui so we did that and the morning that I gave him a burial there a butterfly was hanging around <laughs> outside. Yeah, butterflies are my sign too. <laughs> yeah. So that is a big sign. A, it was a big sign. And the whole time I was there in this rented condo, this butterfly, same color butterfly, was coming around every morning. And I was like, oh my God, this has got to be a sign. And so when I go places and butterflies come near me, I always relate that he's watching me, he sees me, he's taking care of me. And I, you know, I could tell you, I could look up in the sky any day of the minute of the day and I see his face in the clouds, his beautiful smiley face. I remember always the healthy good parts, you know? I don't go back to the parts that were so rough and sad, but I do always have these such loving, fond, fun memories but the butterfly still shows up today so I'll tell I'm going to tell you something it's so crazy you say that because that's I mean my podcast cover has a butterfly I talk about butterflies that's how I see Julie I went to a psychic and the psychic told me every time you see a butterfly it's Julie so a lot of the different podcasts I've done I've talked about butterflies over the weekend it's so interesting you say this I was having a really rough time one of the days I just was feeling really anxious and depressed and I went on this walk on the woodchip path and with that I walk on every day and all of a sudden I had a butterfly swoop down several times and every time I see a butterfly I know it's Julie coming to visit me and I saw and the butterfly right next to my face kept like flying around and then it landed on the ground and <laughs> I went up to the butterfly and I touched its wing. I literally just posted this on social media like two days ago. So it's crazy that we have that in common. And I touched the butterfly and I started crying and talking to it. And people are walking by me. I must have looked 
Like I had full on lost my marbles. I was crying and calling the butterfly Julie. But I am telling you right now that that is a sign. And I know that's a sign. And I am sure he is visiting you. And I love that we both have the same, we share that same sign awesome. in common. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so like just to pivot a little bit, um, what, so after you lost Eric and you got back to your life and you met Evan and you've gone through life. And by the way, I'm not, I wouldn't, I mean, you are one of the most handsome men and you also look so young for your age. So I, whatever you're doing, I'm really jealous. <laughs> men are so lucky because men can age like really well and look handsome forever. And women just turn into like shriveled up like old ladies with like perms and like shopping. I talk about shopping at Chico's. I'm going to be like hitting up Chico's soon. Um what like what are the things that you do now so I know that you do so much so many different things for for the AIDS foundation and working with Elton John and then I saw yesterday you were doing some catering for Project Angel Food which I think is amazing um how have you decided to like live your life with what you've gone through in your own life to help other people you know I I I'm very involved in not only the AIDS organizations, but in multiple charities for schools and local communities. I've owned a wonderful music venue, Rockwell Table and Stage for the past 11 years in Los Feliz. Unfortunately, at the moment with the pandemic, we're closed, but um, the catering part of my business is still going on. And through the catering part, through Crumble Catering, I'm able to either bring in people and train them and teach them if they are interested in cooking or interested in working in hospitality and making donations to help so many different organizations raise money for their cause, whether it's homeless or it's kids that are, you know, starving, that are needy. And we need to really take care of so many different facets of our Los Angeles community. Um, so through that, you know, it gives me pleasure to help people and to share my experiences. And like I said, it's when you asked me to come on and talk about what I've been through, you know, I get so emotional because it's, it brings you always to that place. You know, it doesn't matter. 30 years have gone by people, you know, I'm sure it's easy to say, Oh, you know, I'm sure you're over it now. You're never over it. You have this part of your heart that has been wounded, even though it's heels, there's always out of it's always in my heart and in my mind. He will always be part of me, no matter who I'm with or when I you know, move on. So I'm fortunate through my business and through my bubbly personality. That I <laughs> it is a bubbly personality. Everyone loves Chef Wayne. <laughs> that I'm able to really, um, you know, uh, help people rise above their own existence and give them opportunity to move on, you know, and mentor them and not only mentor them about cooking, but mentor them for life. I have one compliment that I get often is I have so many ex servers, bartenders that reach out to me and they're like, you gave me my first job when I moved to Los Angeles. I cannot thank you to help for helping me exist till I have now I'm a successful actor or I'm a talent manager or whatever they have moved on to. It gives me such joy to know that 
without my hiring them and giving them an opportunity with no experience that they survived in this rat race and they have moved on for their own life and passion. And when they tell me, it just makes me feel so good that I have done good and that I have paid it forward in so many ways. You know, what's interesting too is um, I think that people, some, I mean, we're, everyone in life is going to go through trauma at some point we're human. Everyone's going to go through something. It's part of living. You're going to lose a parent. You're going to lose a whatever, whoever it is. And it just a lot of times make, can make you stronger and realize how precious life is. And you either make the decision to be a good person and help other people, or a lot of people never, they never can get past the pain. Right. And something you just said is, it's like you lost a part of yourself, right? I I know when I lost my best friend, Julie, I, I've said this on the podcast, I lost a part of myself. And I'll, and as long as, you know, the days go on, I mean, it's been, you know, 16, 17 years, I will, I will think about her and I will get upset. I'll miss her. So I understand that pain and what it feels like. But I'm just so proud of you for everything you're doing and like, you know, just to take the bad and then turn it around and do good with it. Um, One of the kind of last points I want to make is, you know, the younger generation, right, of of gay men and um, they, they will never understand what it was like to go through what you went through, right? I mean, now if you, if HIV is not a, a death sentence, you know, and you can live with it. And I know many people that are HIV positive and, you know, live with it. But what is something you would say to, to younger people so they understand, you know, that you paved the way? And I'm hoping, I think we're all praying that there's going to be a cure in the next few years. And it won't even exist anymore, right? Oh, that would be amazing. You know, I tell people, especially throughout these the decades of working with younger staff, gay men that and women that come and work in my business, and you know, when I know they're new in town and they're starting to go out, I am like a parent, and I say to them, "Listen, I know it doesn't seem like it's such a threat today, but you must take care of yourself. You must follow safe practices, safe sex practices. You don't want to get." It's not only HIV anymore. There's so many other diseases that you can get, you know, and you do not want to, your body is your temple. So you need to treat it with respect and don't do anything that's going to harm you for the rest of your life. Be aware, be conscious of what you're doing. We all make mistakes and we all play Russian roulette. So that's okay. But generally you can minimize those, uh, you know, those types of incidents that could happen, but to be aware and to love yourself. I think the biggest thing is respecting yourself so you take care of yourself. And so I try to tell them, hey, you know, please don't overdo, don't overdrink, don't over do whatever else you're in the mood for. Everything in moderation is the healthiest way to behave and to move on. So that's what I normally try to tell them. And I do bring them back to when I was your age. We were not comfortable. We couldn't walk down the street holding our friend's boyfriend's hand. We had HIV and AIDS that we had to be conscious of and deal with. You guys have no idea. So all this, you know, free sex, which trust me, I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I lived in the world, so I know. (laughs) But you still have to 
today have to be very careful because yeah. there are so many things. And I do try to at least tell them to respect themselves. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think, um, you know, you it's kind of like you have to appreciate, they have to appreciate what you guys, the, the I mean, I hate to say the older generation because we know you're only 30 years old, but um, <laughs> what you guys did to get them the rights and the, and the like the freedom that they have today and I just in closing just really want to thank you for sharing your story I know it's was really painful and hard to like bring back those thoughts and talk about them but what I really hope is you know when I'm doing this podcast and I bring on people that have gone through things in life that somebody out there can relate and somebody out there is going through something and they can take a piece of the pain and realize that everybody goes through things and some of the things we go through are just unfair right but we can come out the other side and do good with the pain and you're an example of somebody that's done that and I I'm honored to have you on and I'm honored to know you and love you and thank you so much. And in closing, I will say, keep living, keep praying and keep growing. Thank you. I love you. Thanks for having me on. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.